Flyers AD here. It is uh, Tuesday, October 19, 2021 here. And uh, still coming down from the high of beating the Dave Haxtell at Kraken yesterday. And uh, got plenty of things to talk about now that the season <laughs> barely got started and there's already a shit ton of stuff to talk about. So uh, Anthony's back. Anthony, how you doing today? Doing well, man. A really fun victory last night. And to be honest, I, I said this on Twitter, but I don't feel like they played all that much better against the Kraken than they did against the Canucks. But I think just the difference was is that Carter Hart was clearly on top of his game and you didn't have a guy like Thatcher Demko making a great save after great save. So, I mean, all in all, I think it's just been a fantastic two first games for the Flyers. What about you? Yeah, I, I would agree. I think they got a little sloppy, a little lazy there during the uh, Vancouver game. Uh, fell behind in the second. But overall, you know, the, the Kraken game wasn't necessarily a thing of beauty as much as it was just everything they put towards the net was going in. The the fights made it a little better as well. Um, just a lot more life in that game. They they just did not let uh, uh, the Kraken come in and, and have any ground, really. They pretty much they uh, came out strong in the first few minutes. Uh, did the Kraken, and then Carter Hart made those few big saves. One of them could very well be save of the year candidate. Um, and, and then the Flyers just took over and scored and didn't stop. So it was just one of those games. It was a complete team effort last night for the Flyers, and that's just one of those things that, you know, early on in the year was so different from last year. It feels like they didn't have a single kind of gritty team win last year. But they already have one now. They had the one, uh, you know, in the first game of the season where they came back late in the game. Um, wasn't the best showing there, I mean, because they ran into a hot Thatcher Demko, as you mentioned. But overall, I really do like the direction of this team early on this season. And the thing is, is that a lot of people are saying, you know, it's only game two. Okay, these are teams that you should beat, especially the Seattle Kraken. But I mean... That's a good first step, right? Like, for them to go up against a team like Seattle who that does not have a lot of offense and really just kind of obliterate them 6-1 to one is a good showing. Like, we're not going to sit here and say, like, oh, yeah, they're destined for the Stanley Cup. But for them to be able to put on performances like this, even against weaker-level teams, I think is a good sign. And even against the Vancouver Canucks, like, they did get a bit sloppy in the second 
But let's say the goalies were reversed because Carter Hart had a very tough second period against the Canucks. Thatcher Demko was brilliant. Like, I don't think it's hard to imagine that the Flyers could have won that game in regulation by two or more goals against the Canucks as well. And, I mean, especially in that first period. Like, if it wasn't for Thatcher Demko, the Flyers could have taken a 3 nothing lead into the second period against the Canucks. And as we saw with Carter Hart last night, getting a big saver more early in a game could really change the direction of where the rest of the game is going to go. And even A.V. alluded to that. So last night, they got some bounces uh, in their favor. Obviously, the goaltending was on their side as well. And to your point, it wasn't just the goal, uh, the scoreboard that made it kind of an optimistic victory. It was what was happening between the whistles. And I know people don't like to hear it, but like even a guy like Nick Sealer, who got beat the hell out of by Jamie Oleksiak, but still like comes up and gets the crowd roaring and was all like smiles afterwards. Nate Thompson just obliterating who was a bastion for what he did for, against Claude Giroux. Like these are things that weren't there last year. And as much as people don't want to hear it, they are important. And like, that's why for whatever reason, I'm just chomping at the bit to see a guy like Zach McEwen get into the lineup because I think you are going to need more players like that. Um, because all in a realistic world, a guy like Sealer probably isn't going to play when you're fully healthy. Nate Thompson, as much as people don't want to hear it, he is meant to do other stuff than fight, be a PK guy, take D zone faceoffs. So, I mean, like a guy like Zach McEwen will be a welcomed addition. But yeah, to your point, it went way beyond the scoreboard in terms of why people are so happy after this win. Yeah, and I, I saw you put the poll on Twitter earlier. You know, who would you rather have was foresee, you know, Frost or Thompson? And I'm sure we'll talk about our good old friend Morgan Frost here uh, before too long. But this is one of those things, like, the la win last night and the general energy around the team is always one of those things I can tell when people have played team sports in their lives versus the people on Twitter that have clearly never have. You know, the ones that can appreciate what was done last night. You know, when your captain gets mugged more or less and you're going to go out there and stand up for him. You know, I get, you know, the hockey's going the way of the dino or the fighting in hockey, rather, I should say, is going the way of the dinosaurs. But um, overall, it's that kind of stuff that builds a team. And you're building the room, you're building the chemistry. And that can go a long way. Had this game been closer, um, you know, that could have been the momentum swing that the Flyers needed. Like, that is still a legitimate part of this game. It's a very real thing, as much as people want to pretend it's not. Um, so when you have guys, you know, like... Nick Sealer, who's going to do anything for this team, and Thompson can throw down, and you got, you know, Zach McEwen, you got Rasmus Sterling, and Sam Moran's back on the way. Like, you have a lot of these guys right now that can bring that physical edge, that energy, that fighting, you know, whatever you need to kind of build the momentum of a team and standing up for people. I mean, fuck, how many times last year did Oscar Lindblom get headshotted and then nobody did anything about it, you know? You know, the guy came back from cancer and not a single person gave a shit on this team besides Lindblom himself because he ended up fighting. You know, that's as low, as dirty bullshit as you can get in this sport. You know, so having a team full of guys now, they're going to stand up for each other. Like, that's the shit that's going to go a long, long way um, in the locker room this year. Yeah, and I agree. And, you know, just specifically on the Nate Thompson thing, like the amount of people who will just be like, oh, he's bad, he shouldn't be in the NHL. And I just find it so funny because I, t I always ask people, I'm just like, so you're going to take the stance that every single coach that has coached Nate Thompson in the NHL is an idiot. Like, that's your perspective. 
that every single guy who has come across Nate Thompson, and there's been a lot of, Nate Thompson has played on eight different teams since 2008-2009. So your position is that eight different head coaches are morons. Like, I'm not saying that every coach in the NHL is a smart guy. 813 games. Yeah, and I, I, I say that, like, it's not a coincidence that every single team Nate Thompson plays on, he is an NHL regular. And since 2008, 2009, he's played on eight different teams. And in all but one year, he's played played in at least 43 games. And that's including two shortened seasons, last year and 2013 because of the lockout. So in the vast majority, Nate Thompson is an everyday starting lineup guy for eight different NHL teams. And especially last year, like he had a good season with the Winnipeg Jets last year. But for whatever reason... People just see like, oh, he's not good offensively. And you know what's going to happen, right? They're going to crop that clip of him bearing in on like a, uh, the the breakaway in game one on the penalty kill. Yep. Like, oh, this is why he's bad, you know? And there's certain things that you need in a game that isn't just about offense. And like you said, you could play hockey at any level in the NHL, uh, any level in the NHL. What am I talking about? You could play hockey at any level and start to realize that you need different aspects to games. And to be on, and that includes like just playing beer league hockey or in a ball hockey league on Sunday nights. If you play on any organized team as inconsequential as that game may be in the grand scheme of things, you will realize that there are certain aspects that every team needs. And if you just need a line to go out there and not give up goals and not generate any offense, then you're bringing something to the team. If you need a guy who could win faceoffs so your best players can get that much more rest, you're bringing something to the team. You know, I was speaking to an NHL coach uh, last week, and he told me, let's say in respect to a fourth-line player, it's not about just his analytics. Compare the analytics to the team's best players when he isn't in the lineup as compared to when he is in the lineups. And oftentimes, top-level players' underlying metrics will benefit because they're playing less tough minutes because of a guy like Nate Thompson. But people don't see that, right? They'll just run to expected goals for or this or that. And the funny thing is, is that in terms of shot differential, Nate Thompson had a very good night last night, <laughs> but they still won't look at that. But people will just always just default to hating fourth line guys who don't quote unquote drive offense. Role players are a very real thing in the NHL. And this goes back to kind of the analytics, not having a full appreciation for the sport itself is there are intangibles in this league and there are intangible players and what they bring. And Nate Thompson may not be lighting up, you know, the goals every night. He may not be, you know, this super analytics darling. But he's going to do his job on any given night, provided he's not overdeployed. And I think that's where, you know, people are so salty with this Nate Thompson guy because he was here in the 2020 playoffs and got a little too much ice time when the team overall was in over their heads. You know, was it his fault they, you know, <laughs> lost, uh, you know, the lost to the Islanders and struggled against the Acadians? No, of course not. But, you know, he was the 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 target. So when he comes back specifically, um, I think a lot of people are very sour with that. But yeah, the 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 frost thing 
when they claimed uh, McGowan on waivers, a lot of people were like, oh my God, you know, you're going to play this guy, not Morgan Frost. But it's like, just think about, would you put Morgan Frost on the fourth line for six minutes a night in a role he's not meant for just so it looks better on paper? Just see, oh, Morgan Frost is on this team. They have a better chance to win. But it doesn't make any fucking sense for that to happen, right? You're not giving him any chance to succeed. He's not meant for the role in the fourth line. He's meant to score. The reality is you can put him on the fourth line with Abi Kubel and, you know, Zach McGowan when he shows up. And what? What are you going to get out of that? You know, you're not doing anything. You put Thompson down there, put him for six minutes a night, let him handle the penalty killing and the defensive side of things, and he's going to do great. You know, it's just, it's one of those game, uh, the, the parts of the game that just unfortunately cannot be calculated on paper and because not going to be, uh, because it cannot be calculated on paper does not get the proper respect it deserves. But the Flyers have a lot of those guys right now. And that's going to be the big difference from last year. They didn't have a lot of those guys last year and they sucked miserably, you know. So with the additions of, of Thompson and McGowan and this, James Brown fellow, whatever the fuck his name is that's showing up. James Brown. <laughs> <laughs> you know, all these guys, they're going to play their role. And Nick Sealer, I assume, is back um, either as the seventh guy in the AHL when Ristolainen comes back. I guess it could be as soon as tomorrow. But, you know, he did his job. That's a guy that's going to go out there and do anything for the team at any given time. And, you know, again, you can't calculate this stuff and put it on paper, which makes it, you know, irrelevant to some. But at the end of the day, it's probably one of the most important things in this fucking sport. And you know what's funny is that I was just checking just for shits and gigs, and in terms of expected goals against per 60, Nate Thompson has the lowest of 1.21. So what the hell else do you want out of a fourth-line center? Like, he's suppressing chances against when he's on the ice. What else do you want, honestly? But why? Because his expected goals for is 0.86? Like, these are things that I... I truly, truly don't understand, or even possession. You know, like, I know a lot of people look at possession. If, if you're talking about, let's say, a top-line player, then, yeah, certainly I would value possession. But for a guy on the fourth line, and in my life, if I played, go- if I didn't play goalie, I was playing as a depth centerman because I was trash offensively. <laughs> I still do in my beer ball hockey league. But when I go on, the captain tells me, and I'm not comparing myself to an NHLer, but he tells me, he's just like, honestly, DeMarco, if you go on there and you just don't allow any chances against, that's what we need. So then the good guys can go on and score. Now, if you're on the uh, on the ice or on the court, whatever, you're playing ball or ice hockey, and you're hemmed in your own zone the entire fucking shift and you're getting shots peppered against you and it's a disaster, that's a different story. But if you just don't have the puck, but the other team is generating nothing, like it's just an even game going up and down through the neutral zone along the boards, then are you not doing your job? Like, I feel like in my head that if analytics were this popular 10 years ago, people would have hated Blair Betts or Daryl Powell. I'm sure they good, would. Yeah, good role players that were very effective for these types of teams to succeed or like the most one of the most famous uh fourth lines to ever win a stanley cup uh, in boston pie campbell and uh, scott thornton was it scott thornton i think but or sean thornton rather sean yeah. yeah sean thornton like these are guys that they're not out there to score goals and last year we had 
fourth liners that were kind of like with that offensive upside, like when Nolan Patrick was playing down there, or I believe they even gave um, even a guy like Tanner Lazinski, I guess, had more offensive upside than a guy like Nate Thompson. But these are types of players that they did not have this year and or last year, rather then they clearly lacked it. And I just, I don't understand the hatred for having players in your lineup that quote unquote, don't like support offense. Yeah. And, and you know, we'll, uh, you know, Nate Thompson will get some reps this year. I assume he's pretty much your four C for the time being, um, you know, the injuries to guys like Lazinski pretty much eradicate anybody taking his spot. And, uh, you know, as ha- uh, with Hayes on the shelf especially, nobody's, again, going to force him out. Maybe when Hayes comes back, you swap him and Broussard out or something. I have no idea. But he's going to be here, and, you know, he's going to do his job. And I-, I do think last night was a bit of an anomaly as far as, you know, the, the-, the penalties, the fighting and whatnot. Um, but-, but he's a very, very good hockey player. And, I mean, look no further than Winnipeg Jets last year. He had a phenomenal yep. season for them as a depth guy. You know, not everybody on the ice has to score five goals a game. You know, it's just one of those things that I think is just lost in the, the, the modern hockey world where people either don't play the game or focus too heavily on the analytics and pick and choose what they want to acknowledge in the analytics. And unfortunately, it leaves a lot of these depth guys that are very good hockey players, you know, kind of out in the cold on that one. And and Thompson is just a, <laughs> a poster child for this. And I'm pretty sure this is something we're going to be here about uh, the rest of the season as well, unfortunately. Well, and another guy that if you want to shit on, let's say, fourth liners, like why does nobody talk about how irrelevant and useless Nick Abe Kubel is? I I am I am over this Abe Kubel fellow. And and you know people maybe it's because he was drafted by the team sometime in the last decade so it makes him like you know free of criticism. He's a hex But he yeah. Pardon me. Yeah, exactly. Like he literally brings nothing to this team. He does he's not overly physical. He doesn't play on either special teams. He's not a centerman. He doesn't generate anything offensively. He's just there. He just exists. And to be honest, like the first guy that comes back, well, I guess it will be Wilman, the first guy to get uh, bumped out of the lineup. But I would probably go with Nikov Akubel, to be quite honest, because I just, just the penalties alone for me, he's becoming a liability. Like that penalty he took last night, so that is, the, it, it just makes no sense. Like there wasn't a scrum and it's not even like you're being overly physical to set the tone and you got a bit carried away. Like, no, that's just a cheap little cross check to the bottom of a guy's back. You know what you're doing. I just, this Nick Abe Kubel guy. And the thing is, is people don't realize like he's actually kind of older like he was drafted in 2014. So he's what 25 years old already, if not a bit older. So I mean, Nick Abe Cabell, this is what he is, just like I I guess an everyday fourth liner that kind of takes away uh some I mean rather puts you on the penalty kill more times than not. And uh it once Zach McCune is ready to go and it seems like he is now ready to go, so hopefully tomorrow night he gets in. And I'm hoping it's Albe Kubel in favor of uh, Max Wilman. What do you think? Albe Kubel is 25, and he'll turn 26 in May. But uh, this was a guy that I saw a whole hell of a lot of with the Phantoms over the years and was never overly impressed with him. 
And when he first got called up in 1920, um, I, I voiced my concern about him and, and that, you know, sooner or later he's going to not be very good. And he made me eat my words there for a little while. He was phenomenal in 1920. And he was kind yeah, of that all-over perfect depth guy, you know, the speed, the score, and the smart physicality. And then last year he just was off the fucking rails and taking stupid penalties on a nightly basis. And... You know, he had a fairly decent preseason, all things considered. And now he's right back to his old bullshit again. So I, I just, I have no more need for somebody like this. You know, we're, we're sitting here talking about good depth player, uh, good depth players versus dab, uh, bad depth players. And Aubrey Cabell is a bad depth player. You know, he, he does have potential positive to his game. But if he's putting you on the penalty kill and lining you up for more issues than he's worth, like he's probably, he, I would assume he's the second. I, I think Willman's going to go first, even though he's been just fine. Really not good, not bad, just kind of in the middle. But um, yeah, hopefully, you know, when, when, what the hell is his name? Patrick Brown? Nolan Patrick? Yeah. James Brown? What the fuck is his name? <laughs> Nolan <is>? Patrick. <laughs> what, maybe when this well, guy shows up, you know, they bump him out, and you have uh, Thompson, McGowan, Brown, fourth line. I mean, it's at least worth trying. I, I just don't know where Abe Kubel fits in anymore. He's he's just a he's a a a I don't even know what the word is a a a a monster to his own team right now. Well, that's the thing, and I was actually going to go there, and I guess this would kind of include Hayes coming back, but as of right now, and I suppose we could include Allison, but. I get the feeling that we may not even see him until not maybe 2000. Yeah. Exactly, because even when he is healthy, you would assume that he's going to get a conditioning stint with the Phantoms, and then where, where does that put him? So when Hayes comes back, what would be your fourth line? I mean, Thompson's in a spot right now. Broussard, I assume, just gets bumped down to 3C. Lawton probably goes back to the wing. On the fourth line? On, I would assume the fourth line. Everything else is rolling pretty well without him. Uh, the middle six is doing just fine on the wings right now. So I don't think he, unless somebody you know slows down in the next two months. Um, yeah, maybe Lawton, Thompson, and then cycle out McCowan and Brown, depending on what kind of game it is. If you want a little more physicality, put McCowan in there. If you want a little bit more... You know, maybe just general decent hockey playing. Brown's your guy. Um, and, and then Albi Kubel is your 13th, 14th forward and, and Willman in the AHL, I assume. Yeah, well, that's like I would assume that it would be because Hayes would just come in, bump Lawton down, and then you'd have Lawton, Thompson, Zach McEwen. Like at this point, would you rather have, and I guess it's hard, kind of hard to say because we haven't seen either play. But would you rather McEwen or Brown? I think I would rather McCowan at this point. Uh, I think he's going to be a better flyer uh, than Brown will, but I, I cannot say I've... I guess I've seen Brown play. He was a Charlotte checker for a while, so I guarantee I've watched him over sometime in Lehigh Valley, but uh, I, I can't recall anything specific about him off the top of my head, but uh, McCowan's definitely a guy that will uh, fit in well here with the Flyers. And if you're losing somebody like... Nick Sealer, who's going to bring that energy from the blue line when Ristolainen comes back. I think McCowan is the next guy up that can handle that kind of physical slash fighting workload. I actually kind of wanted to bring up your old friend um, JVR here for a second, because for one, 
obviously I've never been shy to criticize JVR and he still is extremely overpaid for the role he's playing. But I think the fact that JVR has been, I don't know, willing to turn himself into a right wing, which is his offside and just play on like a third line that is just a defense first line. And I think they've done a hell of a job, even though they haven't really scored. And he made a really nice play on the Braun goal last night. But that line, I feel like, is just a very good safe line out there. And they don't generate a whole lot of offense. But they've had actually some chances, just nothing to get put in the back of the net because I don't think any of them are really great finishers. But Lawton, Van Riemsdyk, and Limblom, just a good, solid, reliable defense first third line. Do you not feel like maybe now because Ghost and Voracek are gone and those two bad contracts aren't kind of making the JVR one glaring as well? But do you not think that JVR's role in the team, overpaid aside, has really elevated by him being willing to play a more depth and leadership type of role? JVR really isn't on my shit list at the moment. Um, I think it's just kind of accepting him for what he is now. Uh, you know, he's 32 years old. Guy's, you know, not going to get any better at this point. And he is kind of transitioning to that depth role where he's not necessarily trying to focus on scoring and failing miserably, whereas he's just kind of being that solid two-way winger. And that third line right now has been great. Uh, really, the entire middle six has been fairly solid to, uh, to start the year here as far as two-way play goes. Um, but yeah, JVR, you know, he is what he is at this point. And I don't know if he's going to be back next season simply because you're going to need money elsewhere in the lineup and he's still making a shit ton at $7 million. But... For right now, it's just kind of accepting him for what he is. You know, I I don't... I'm sure he'll rack up points in the power play throughout the year. That's, you know, how he always gets his bread and butter. He's a very streaky, hot and cold player. He always has been, always will be. But, you know, as long as he can handle his own, and him on the right side is, is baffling. I don't know if he's ever played on the right side for long periods of time in his career. But, um... You know, it, he clearly knows what his role is at this point, which I think goes a long way. He's not trying to be something that he's not. Um, so I, I do have a little bit more respect for JVR, the player right now. Um, you know, as far as whether he sees the last year of his contract, I have no idea. I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't keep him around just because that $7 million can go elsewhere. Um, better used. But for the most part, I, I really don't have any issues with the JVR this season yet. Yeah, well, that's the whole thing, right? And it doesn't change the fact that you have a third line making a combined, what is it, $13 million right now. And I think that's like the only kind of gripe I have is that you have like Limblom, Lawton, and JVR who don't generate a whole lot of offense. And I know like they have like good underlying numbers and I'm not saying that they don't do all the little things right. And they are an effective line just to kind of pin the other team in the offensive zone and get them working hard but it's just like to have a line there making that kind of money that isn't going to put up real numbers on the scoreboard that's the only kind of criticism i have of this team right now and then once uh kevin hayes comes back i guess that line will kind of get elevated offensively because given the success of the brassard farabee and atkinson line i don't really think that they're going to break up that unit just yet so, like, I'm sure once Hayes comes back, it will help that line offensively with Limblom and JVR. But, I mean, 
this was one thing going into the season I was a little worried about is how much money they committed to bottom six players, specifically wingers, because even though Lawton is a center at the moment, he is more of a winger when everyone is healthy. So, I mean, do you not get a little worried about how much money they're paying these guys? And albeit they're doing their roles very solidly, uh, they're just kind of paying too much for these types of players. Yeah, I would agree. Um, you know, we touched upon this during the off season and they're very good at their jobs and that's pretty consistent throughout the forward group right now. But, you know, you are lacking true star power there. You have a very responsible two-way group, um, you know, that can be used on a nightly basis. But overall... You know, you are lacking a little bit of firepower. And they can all produce offense. Lindblom and JVR and, you know, Lawton and Broussard. You know, they can all score. But, you know, they're not necessarily meant to score with any kind of super regularity. So you did overcommit a little bit to that sense. You know, hopefully if and when they make the playoffs, you kind of get a little bit of benefit from that. Um, You know, with your your responsible two-way players, they can kind of handle themselves uh but you know for the most part it it is what it is you set it up this way for the year and again I think they're going to be in a very interesting spot next summer as well just from a financial standpoint where they're going to have to make some more serious changes and or decisions to make changes and you know we'll know more uh, what they have to tweak specifically but you know with guys like you know Katuri getting paid and Giroux will presumably resign here you know you're going to need that seven million dollars and Lawton's three million dollars just doesn't make a lot of sense I assume Lindblom isn't going anywhere just yet um so you have a lot of money invested in these depth, uh, depth guys that you know come next summer the decisions will uh, have to be made about where this money gets uh, redistributed to and obviously it's just a two-game sample size but maybe aside from the first period two periods of the first game like is it not a sight for Sauerise how great that top line is performing right now? Yeah, I, I, I really have enjoyed most of the forward group. I don't have a lot of complaints about many of these players right now. Um, really anywhere in the lineup. Uh, they're just firing at all cylinders is probably the best we've seen this team in years and years and years. Um, and, and again, it's going to come down to whether they can keep this up on a consistent basis throughout the year, which has been... You know, the Flyers' biggest issue for Christ knows how long at this point is kind of keeping the effort level up for long periods of time. But for the most part, I am thoroughly impressed with what I've seen up and down the lineup. Yeah, like even just a guy like Cam Atkinson, like that is just a player that they really, really needed on this team. Just a guy who brings a lot of speed to the wing, shoot first mentality. And that line in and of itself, and I guess we could talk about like guys like Broussard. Well, we already talked about Nate Thompson, but just like Broussard and Keith Yandel and people who were really, really upset about these signings. And, you know, you see it across the league sometimes about, you know, teams up against the cap signing depth players on cheap contracts, like almost like prove it types of deals and then paying off in spades. And I mean, like we saw it so many times with, let's say, Patrick Maroon down in um, in Tampa Bay Corey or whatnot. Perry. Corey Perry. There you go. Like all these, you know, veteran guys who are maybe just trying to get one last kick at the can of being like relevant NHL level players. And like even if these guys tail off eventually, because I don't think that 
you know, Keith Yandel is going to be putting up two assists a game for the rest of the season, or Broussard is going to be looking this good for 82 all the way to April. But I mean, just the fact if they could be solid placeholders until the trade deadline when they go and maybe get a more legitimate piece at center ice, or if Cam York can come up, but even Keith Yandel, like, is it realistic or unrealistic rather to think that he might be an everyday NHL for the rest of the, for the, of the season as the number six guy. Like, you know, I put up that, that uh, number yesterday that they signed those three guys for a combined two and a half million dollars. And just them doing these things, even if they're this impactful one in every four games or something, that's what you want for players at this price tag. And I mean, it's so great to see them bringing in veteran players like this and then being so impactful. But then, as always, there's still people that just will hate veterans no matter what, you know? We just talked about, you know, the role players and how they do stuff that is, you know, doesn't show up on the analytics page. And Broussard and Yandel do very much the same. You know, Yandel has a thousand some games under his belt, whatever it is. Like, he, just watching him play, you know, he has had some defensive hiccups. Um, which, as again, is expected. You know, we talked about this, you know, over the summer when he first got acquired, and what we heard from the Florida Panthers fans, you know, that he was not very great defensively anymore, which does seem to be at least semi-true. But there are so many little things he does, getting the puck through the neutral zone and into the offensive zone. Like, I love it. You know, you can tell this is a guy who's been around the block and is bringing things that he's learned to the table. And Broussard has done very much the same. Like, these are guys that... They know what they're doing. They know what their jobs are. It does help that they've played with AV before, so they have a general idea of what they're doing going into the uh, going into the the, the games and the season. But you know, it's the veteran presence, and I know people don't want to hear that because they immediately think of guys like fucking Andrew McDonald. But in the right case, these are very very good additions to the team, and Broussard has been fucking great. Okay, I was skeptical of Broussard signing at best. Not because of what kind of player he was, but because I was curious what he had left in the tank. And I guess we still have, you know, kind of yet to see once we get to a full season here. But for the most part, goddamn, like, Derek Broussard is great! He's holding his own in a role that's way above his head at this point in his career. And that's good to see Yandel doing a lot of the little things right. Like, these are just the kind of players that work so much better in the overall lineup here and. You know, we'll have to see. Uh, Yandel, I would assume they're going to let him get his streak, uh, unless something, you know, unless an injury uh, occurs. Um, I would assume he gets his streak. It's like mid-January, like the 18th or something. By that point, you know, we'll know more of what Cam York is, but if he's not blowing the doors off, I would assume Yandel probably sees the full season uh, at this point. Maybe they find, uh, you know, somebody worthwhile to put in at the trade deadline or whatnot. But otherwise, I'm pretty sure he's here for, for the full term unless things, you know, again, come off the track between now and then. But, I mean, these are two players that are definitely paying off in spades, especially for what you paid them. Yeah, well, that's the whole thing. And a guy like Yandel, like you see him sometimes, like in the in the defensive zone, it isn't pretty. Like honestly, like he does have some questionable decisions with the puck, and I don't even think that it's questionable decisions as though like he's always looking for like that high risk, high reward play. But I don't remember seeing a defenseman being able to break out the puck as easier as as easy as Keith Yandel has. Like, even that play on the Travis Konechny goal from last night, 
where like he just finds Konechny hitting the blue line with speed and he comes in and then he gets his own rebound and scores. Or even on the power play, like the way he moves the puck and sometimes to a fault where he'll try and force it to the slot, it gets picked off and mm-hmm. then thrown down the ice. But the thing is, is that for every one of those plays, like he's completing four or five passes. Yep. And I guess we're just used to either, you know, the Shane Gossespierre slap shot that's blocked or Ivan Provorov, who, I mean, has a good shot, but isn't a fantastic distributor in the offensive zone. Like, it's a guy that's going to take chances that worst case scenario in the offensive zone, it gets picked off and cleared, which isn't the end of the world. And look, I'm not going to want Keith Yandley playing 15 minutes a night and you know, a 60 or like a 30% zone start percentage. Like he needs a favorable deployment, but having a guy like that who can create offense, which is what he's there for, you're going to live with some of the defensive hiccups. Like we know that he wasn't brought in here to be a defensive stalwart, but the thing is, and that goes back to role players, just like Nate Thompson isn't here to score goals Keith Yandel isn't here to come in and, you know, play the penalty kill and suppress chances against. He's in to get out there against the weaker lines and drive offense up the ice. And I think him being out there a lot of times with, like, the Couturier line is indicative of that. And I just, I think everyone kind of got brainwashed by Ron Hextel. And we've said this so many times that every player has to do every single thing right. Yep. And sometimes you need players like that, like the Oscar Limbloms of the world that does every little thing right, but isn't exceptional at one thing. And there are places on this team for players like that. Like we just talked about that entire third line, that that's kind of what they do. They do everything well, but nothing fantastically. But you do need players in the lineup that are here for specific roles and objectives. Like, having Yandel in the lineup just to work the power play, like, I don't know about you, but the power play looks phenomenal this year. Oh, yeah. And, you know, everyone still just defaults to, you know, like, oh, fire Michel Therrien, fire Michel Therrien. Well, I mean, what was he working with in past years? They had to play Jake Voracek not to hurt his feelings. And you had <laughs> Ivan Provorov or Shane Gossespierre running the power play, and neither were exactly fantastic at it. Now you have a guy that has made a living running power plays from the top and distributing the puck and creating offense of the offensive zone. And hey, look, it looks a lot better. So, I mean, it's just I don't understand why people have such a hard time grasping that not every player is going to be brilliant at everything. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, a lot of that has to do with analytics and whatnot. But yeah, the, the, the power play one for five I believe this season but uh, overall I really have liked the system they've run through the power play thus far Um, there's a lot more movement it's not nearly as stale and boring as was last year they're trying people at different positions and behind the net and doing different things and like that's what you want to see out of a coach and and listen I am no no friend of Michelle Terrian at this point but um you know, he, he's trying something different, which is as much as you can do as a coach. And the player personnel uh, has done their job well. And hopefully the points start coming because they've done a, a fairly decent job at, at changing things up and looking pretty good. Um, really have not had much complaint about the special teams yet overall. Um, you know, they got to start scoring on the power play. But other than that, I, I think for the most part, these special teams have been good. And again, I think that comes down to a lot of the players they added uh, versus, you know, versus the, the coaching staff finally pulling their heads out of their ass after 70 years in Michelle Terrian's case. But 
you know, it, it, it's a part of the game that is definitely improved, and it was part of Chuck Fletcher's plan through the offseason was finding players that could succeed in these roles, and so far, so good. Well, the th- and you bring up coaches, right? And, you know, we saw over the weekend people Or you talk about Le Perrier. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's where I'm going. But here's the thing is that, and even a guy like Bill Meltzer, who... You know, I respect Bill for everything he's done for this organization and covering this team for years upon years, but I, I just find him more unbearable each passing day. But even when a guy like him is criticizing yet another coach for almost like holding Frost back, like how long do you think this is going to go before people just kind of admit just like, okay, maybe the player just really needs to improve his game? I think people are starting to come to the realization that Morgan Frost is not going to be the next Connor McDavid. I think for a lot of years, there have been select people that have blown a whole lot of smoke at Morgan Frost's ass. And as the days, months, years, seasons continue to pass and Morgan Frost is nowhere to be seen, I think people are starting to come with the, you know, realize that he's not going to be a superstar. And some people are having a harder time digesting that than others. And, you know, a few weeks back, he was sent down to the AHL. He did not make the team out of camp. And then the Phantoms had a preseason game and he had two or three really nice highlight reel plays that circulated Twitter for quite a few days. And people go, Oh my God, look at this guy. Bring him back up. They made the wrong call. He's still great. It's like, he just failed to make the NHL out of camp with zero pressure on him to secure the second line. Like that, that was his role and he couldn't do it. You know, He's got some offensive upside to his game, but the overall defensive aspects, the play away from the puck, has not very good. And I feel like I've been saying this for years and years and years. Now, I was not at that Phantoms game. It wasn't a away game. I will be, uh, will be there this weekend to see him up close and personal again. But... You know, I would assume most people did not actually watch that game, that they're just making random assumptions based off one or two tweets by a couple fucking beat writers. But, you know, you're going to have to... You're quickly approaching the time where this guy has to put up or shut up, and it doesn't seem like he's there. And whether it was just a bad game or a lack of effort on his part or, you know, uncaring whether he's just in a shitty mood because he got sent down again. Like, whatever the case is, it's not great. You know, I, I would assume that the Flyers are probably hunting for a center. Again, we're not near the trade deadline yet, but once that time comes, like, I would assume Frost is probably your biggest trade ship right now that isn't on the roster. Um, you know, he needs a team, and I've talked about this a couple times the last few weeks, he needs a, he needs a team like Detroit, where he can go and make the NHL roster and sink or swim at his own level. You know, kind of the trial by fire, but you're not on a clock to do it. You know, if it was 2017 and Morgan Frost was here and competing, and you could live with the hiccups because the Flyers weren't expected to be good. But you don't have that luxury right now. It is go time, okay? I realize the Flyers are in a bit of a shitty situation here with the injuries and the overall lack of center depth. But Broussard has been playing incredibly well. Thompson has been doing his job. Lawton hasn't royally screwed anything up yet. Like... Those players help you win now, whereas Frost struggling to keep his head above water does not. 
And it's just that simple. You know, there's not some grand organizational, you know, plot here to derail Morgan Frost's career by holding him back late in a Phantoms game after he just fucked up for 40 minutes. You know, I saw that. It's just so fucking stupid. People are so goddamn brainwashed to believe that every fucking last prospect is going to be a superstar. You know, and that's just not the case with Morgan Frost. And it was just another one of those things there. People were calling for, you know, LaPerrier to be fired. It's been two games! Okay? <laughs> like, he's not getting fired. You know, he's just trying to teach the fucking players what's up. And I realize the benching young guys thing, again, has a bad taste in people's mouths from the days of Dave Haxtell. But, you know, it's LaPerrier's team. Like, if there's one guy that knows about the leadership and, and you know, demanding more of his players, it's going to be LaPerrier. I expect to see this kind of stuff regularly from him but I don't think he's doing it to spite the players I think he's doing it to teach them and theoretically you sit Morgan Frost in a six on three late in the game after he fucked everything up he goes man I gotta work my ass off a little harder and he works and gets better but he's not doing that and that's the ultimate problem with Frost is just the expectation level was so goddamn high he's failing to meet it and people are still trying to force something on him that just isn't there anymore and it's becoming incredibly frustrating and at least some people are starting to wave the white flag on him ever being you know a legitimate star but at this point there's still a lot of people holding on to that dreams and are willing to just burn everything down to make Morgan Frost you know feel a little better at the end of the day and, you know, he is – he should be far and away the best player on the Phantoms team or yes. best forward, you know. And, like, who else are the centermen down there? Like, Connor Bonneman, like, who's playing fourth-line center for the Phantoms. Like, who are the other senator, uh, senators – centers? Like, is O'Reilly still a center down with the Phantoms? I believe so. O'Reilly uh, – Jackson Cates is down there right now. Uh, yeah. Frost – German Rubsov and Bunneman, I believe, are your four C's. And here's the thing. You've been watching the Phantoms up closing personal for years now. Do you not think that if winning AHL games was the priority, you would just stop you wouldn't just stalk the team with like AHL tweeners like the TJ Brennans of the world? Yeah. Because typically, are there not a lot of AHL veterans who like I guess even a guy like Colin McDonald that are the quote-unquote best players in that league on almost each and every team. Yeah. So here's the thing. Like, at the end of the day, does and you could even answer this because you're a season ticket holder, is the priority for the Phantoms to win as many games as possible, or especially in a case like the Flyers for a team that has theoretically cup aspirations and several prospects down on that roster right now, who the team has high hopes for, or is, is it the main priority not to just develop these players and get them NHL ready to help the big club? The Phantoms' goal is to develop players. If they if their goal is to win games, they're failing fucking miserably at it, and they have for quite a few years. You're there to develop players. You're there to get these guys ready to go to face the big club. And it's why you put somebody like fucking LaPerrier there in the first place. You know, he's a team guy. He knows what you want. He was like a head co he was a uh, assistant coach here for how many fucking years now? He knows what the NHL club is looking for in players, and that's why he's there. He's not there to bring him a, a Calder Cup. He's not. He's there to make these guys NHL ready. And if he feels fit to sit Morgan Frost to teach him a lesson, then that's what he's going to do. 
And and that's the whole thing, right? And there are a lot of young guys on that team. And you look at a guy like Morgan Frost. Like, let's say you're a Tyson Forster and whatever other players are there. And you're second year pro. You were drafted two years ago now. And you see a guy like Morgan Frost who has all this hype, you know, by a lot of people projected as the best prospect on this team. And, you know, the five years out from being drafted and he's the number one center. He should have already been in the NHL by this point. And you see him dogging it all all game or not even dogging it, just not playing well up to his capabilities. And then in at the best point in the game, you have the coach throw him out there. Like, okay, it's a six on three. Here you go. Here's the best opportunity of the night. What kind of message do you think that's going to send? Now, if you were in the NHL and your overall goal was just to win games, yeah, for sure. Throw out Morgan Frost. You know, it's the same concept as when, like, Peter Laviolette and Nick Zherdev were at odds. But at the end of the day, you know, Zherdev was a better option on the ice than Jody Shelley, just for example. But that was on an NHL team that was trying to win as many games as possible to win a cup. With the Phantoms, with as many players as they have right now, young players, that is, you are not just trying to win games. Like when you go there, I'm sure that you want the team to win games. But at the end of the day, you're looking at which young players have an attempt to get up to the main roster. Like yes. how many years was TJ Brennan the number one defenseman on the Phantoms? Four, maybe five. And when you watched him, was he like leaps and bounds ahead of a lot of the young players that were there? For the most part at the time. But here's the thing. Like, do you really give a shit that TJ Brennan is helping you win AHL games? Or are you there to see, well, at that time, I don't know what young defensemen were there, but Robert even like a Sanheim era, Sanheim and Moran era. Exactly. Or Robert Hag and Phil Myers and yeah, that. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. Like, you're not going down there to, you're, or you're not being a coach down there to win games. And maybe it's a different story. Like, maybe in, like, the Paul Holmgren era, I believe it was Terry Murray was the coach at that time, and they had no fucking prospects. So maybe, like, <laughs> when you had the, the Ben Holmstroms of the world down there. Hey, 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 hey. we do not talk bad about Ben Holmstrom on this show. <laughs> well, I mean, just to say, like, these guys who had no real NHL future that, okay, well, then go down there and just win as many games as possible. Try and get some ticket sales down in Lehigh Valley, because at the end of the day, there are no prospects down there that have a real chance at, you know, making a name for themselves in the NHL. But I think Ian LaPerriere becoming the coach is indicative that their main focus is developing players for the NHL. And, you know, you and I were skeptical on here when they made Ian LaPerriere the coach. Like, I'm not an Ian LaPerriere fan. I believe I used it as kind of like a lazy hiring. But the thing is, is that if they were trying to win hockey games, maybe they would have retained a guy like Scott Gordon, providing he wanted to stay. Or maybe they would have gotten and gotten a more seasoned AHL coach to who is the best at winning games. What it tells me, and you already alluded to this, is that LaPerriere was put in place there because he knows what the organization wants. He's been with the organization as a player or a coach for over 10 years, and he probably has marching orders to get players like this ready. He's run rookie camps before. He's coached for so many years. I don't know. I just, I don't understand why people will just, like, I think you put it out on Twitter that people rather, like, 
thought like have the thought that there's an organization wide conspiracy to hold Morgan Frost down than realize that he just has a lot of ways to go before getting to the NHL. They were looking for something specific with that coaching staff. Ian LaPerriere, Jason Smith, and well, I believe Riley Armstrong was the other one. Like, those are three badass dudes from their playing days. You know, the on-ice leader extraordinaires. You know, Jason Smith was a fucking badass. Ian LaPerriere was a badass. Riley Smith was, uh, uh, Riley uh, Armstrong rather, was a badass. You know, like, you're trying to instill something in these younger players. And Shane and I talked about this over the summer with minor leagues in baseball, where those players are just there to develop. You know, if a pitcher gets blown out on any given night, it doesn't really matter because you're using it as a teaching method. You're using it as a way to fix your game and get better, right? You're there, you're selling tickets to the fans, which is great, but you're not necessarily there to win the games. You know, it's great if you win, it's great if you have success, but that's not the main goal. Your main goal is to develop, and that's clearly what they're doing here, and you know, for whatever reason, Scott Gordon, you know, they parted ways with the organization. I believe his contract was up at the end of this season. I don't think he got a job anywhere else as far as I know. But they were clearly looking in a different direction here with the players they brought in. They're looking to instill something in these younger guys. You know, it's Chuck Fletcher's thumb, uh, you know, thumbprint, blueprint, whatever you want to call it, on this team through his early tenure here is he's trying to instill a culture. And this is something that he did with all of his NHL additions throughout the year, all the veteran players, all these very talented depth guys that we just spent the last hour talking about. You know, he's trying to fix the team up top, and now he's trying to fix the next generation of players to have that kind of respect for the game and the the, the understanding, the willpower to kind of grow through it. And Morgan Frost, maybe he just doesn't fit into that. Maybe this is a guy who doesn't want to work hard and doesn't want to work for it. I have no idea. I'm not going to accuse him of anything, certainly this early. If we sit here in three months and he's still getting benched on a regular basis, maybe we can revisit that conversation. But, you know, they're looking for something. And that coaching staff was put together specifically for a reason of teaching the players you know, the ways of the NHL and LaPerriere at the helm. Again, 10 years with the Flyers now. You know, this is a guy who knows what the organization is looking for at the NHL level. He was put there for a reason. So I, uh, <laughs> I'm far, have more, have, uh, far more faith in the coaching staff than I do whatever it is Morgan Frost is trying to do right now. And the thing is, is that like, I'm just, I kind of put this tweet out there, I believe, on Sunday night, but I just, I don't want to hear about what he's doing in the AHL. Even if he's doing well, like, great. Let me know when he's in the NHL. You know what I mean? Yep. Like, yep. And, it, and it comes back to the simple fact of that people rather lose with certain players in the lineup than win with certain players in the lineup. Like, I saw someone, like, respond to, like, Nate Thompson's press conference was just like, huh. Frost or Bunneman are better. Like, what? who that? Like, what does it what? matter what you think? You know, like it's just they. If this lineup is working, if this lineup is winning, who gives a damn who is in the lineup? Yep. Like I've said it numerous times. I don't think that Nick Abekubel should be in the NHL. I don't think he should. I don't like him as a player. But at the same time, am I going to be like, ha? Huh, well. 
Tyson Forster should be there or Jackson Cage should be there or player X should be there. Like, no, because they're winning. And at the end of the day, he's a fourth line right winger. If you ask me personally, do you think he should be in the NHL? No. But at the end of the day, is Nick Aubé-Coubelle going to single-handedly plummet this team if he plays over, let's say, Zach McEwen or Patrick Brown? Just to say, probably not. Like, if a fourth-line right wing is costing you NHL games, then there's a big-ass fundamental problem <laughs> on your team. You know what I mean? Yep. But here's the difference, is that... I'm not going to have a conniption because Nicol Bakubal is in the lineup just because I don't like him as a player because it is just such an inconsequential thing. Now, if Nate Thompson kind of like back in 2020 when he was playing a way bigger role than he ever should have, then that's a different story. But even at that, theoretically, and, you know, you could ask even Charlie O'Connor about this, who's big into analytics. I spoke to co uh, some Flyers coaches about it and people from within the organization that theoretically Thompson was doing what the coaching staff asked of him. So your beef shouldn't even have been with Nate Thompson in 2020. It should have been with how AV used him. And to be honest, if you look how the team was playing, what other options that he did he have? Were you going to use Sean Couturier or Kevin Hayes as shutdown centers when the team was scoring no offense? Derek Grant was absolutely terrible as the three C. So I understood it. It just it makes no sense to me how people will just force it and force it and they just and i think it's what it comes down to you what you've said so many times ben is that they go on to nhl 20 yep. or nhl 22 at this point and they have a fourth line of den ya frost and forster and they think that's what how it relates in the nhl and yep. that's just not the case yeah the old nhl nhl 22 factor now is just they, they live in the fantasy world where you can just put players on the fourth line and yeah, you, know, you can control them, and, and they're going to have great offensive seasons and contribute to the team. But the reality of this situation is Frost has no business being on a fourth line in the NHL, and Nate Thompson does because that's what he fucking does. That's his job, you know. If, if, if Frost could not make the NHL out of camp with no competition behind him other than Scott Lawton, and he did not make it, that is all you need to know. Yeah, as your yep. tweet alluded to, if he's not in the NHL, I don't really give a shit what he's doing down there, and I don't. And I'll get to see him, you know, this weekend, uh, provided he doesn't get called up, which I don't think he will. And I'll get to get a little bit of a closer bird's eye view on him, see what he's bringing to the table here. And uh, you know, I, I, I just, I, I'm so done with Morgan Frost. I never want to hear this guy's name again. Um, <laughs> just, 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 just over it at this point. So, um, yeah, it's just. Uh, <laughs> no and and the thing is is that i we've we've often said that he's not going to be in the nhl unless he's in the top nine and obviously a short sample size but what which one of these top nine players and you could include kevin hayes into this because he's going to be back in november 10th so which one of those 10 players is he going to bump for a roster spot to play in the top nine because Scott Lawton is doing a, a good job as of right now as the 3C. We just talked about how good that line has been as just a good shutdown line. Uh, he's not going to bump Derek Broussard at this point. He's not going to bump Katori or Kevin Hayes. And then even let's look on the wings. 
like, is he going to bomb Oscar Limblom or JVR? No, because for the roles that they're playing, they're doing a damn good job at it. And then look at any of the guys in the top six. He's not going to bump Giroud, Konechny, Atkinson, or Farabee for winger jobs. So do we realize how good he has to be in the AHL? And this is also taking into consideration that he's had a poor first two games. Do we have to, like, do we realize how good he has to be to now carve out a job in the NHL? Yeah, he's got to be. And we talked about this with uh, Wade Allison, too, before the season. You know, this guy was going to be a fourth liner this year because the talent above him was so goddamn good. You know, and but he's a guy, his playing style, his drive, his dedication would allow him to succeed much better in a fourth line role than Frost. And that's another thing that people can't get through their fucking heads when you, you know, suggest somebody like even Tanner Lazinski, you know, taking a fourth line role. Like, his game is much better suited for a depth spot than Morgan Frost's is. Frost is a playmaker, plain and simple. That's all he's got is his, you know, offensive ability. And if his offensive ability cannot outweigh his defensive faults, which to this point it has not, then he's just not an everyday NHLer. I'm sure at some point over the next few years, he will be on an, on an NHL team, easy for me to say. With some kind of regularity. I don't think it's going to be in Philadelphia. But he's probably an NHLer. Is this guy ever going to be anything legitimate? Is he ever going to be a 25-goal, 50-point guy? I don't think so. You know, Maybe if he gets in the right position with the right line mates and the right team, maybe. But I, I just, I, I've lost all hope in this guy being anything good. I was hoping that I would be wrong on Morgan Frost, that he would show up and kick some ass and take some names and beer and look good. But I, I've lost a lot of faith in that happening right now. And, you know, uh, I, I, I hope he still succeeds. I do, but I just don't think it's going to be in Philadelphia. Well, I remember Manny brought up a pretty valid point. I believe it was two weeks ago on Frequent Flyer where he said, are we confident that Scott Lawton is a better option at 3C than Morgan Frost because we had seen Lawton time and time again. And I really thought, like, shit, you know, Manny has a point. But after two games, again, small sample size, but after two games for the role that that line is playing, Lawton is absolutely a better option at 3C than Morgan Frost because that line has been used as a shutdown line, a line that doesn't give up anything defensively. And you look at what guys like what Van Riemsdyk and Lawton and Limblom have been able to do in terms of just suppressing chances against, like even a guy like JVR, like I know I sung his praises earlier, but like second on the team in expected goals against per 60 and generating a good amount of chances. We saw him do that on the Justin Braun goal. Like even Scott Lawton, I think he's done well in that center ice position. I just think that that entire third line are playing a role and a style that is not fit to, you know, fit Frost's game. And the only real spot that he had for contention this year was the the center position. I believe who did he start with? Farabee and JVR. Yes, that's the. And now that the lines kind of shuffled after Lawton came up into the mix, but let's say it was between Atkinson and Farabee, the the position that Broussard is playing right now. I mean. Like you said, he had no real competition. Like, he was competing against Derek Broussard and Scott Lawton. Yep. And he could not beat them out for a job. And as much as I've sung the praises of Lawton and Broussard in the early going, 
like for a prospect with this much pedigree, it should not have been this complicated for him to crack this roster. And the other thing is, is that I do understand that he, you know, went four periods of uh, only playing four periods of hockey in like a 20 month span. And I get that. But it's almost like he's not missing the skill that you would maybe expect for a guy who missed that amount of times. It's almost like kind of like, I don't even know if work ethic is the right word. Like, is it just maybe like trying to change his game to fit in the NHL? I don't know what it is, but I mean, and you could speak to him better about what goes on in the AHL. But I mean, I guess I'll give it just to be fair because of how little hockey he's played since, let's say, March of 2020. But like you said, it's just not very encouraging. To be fair to Frost, I I do think that had everybody been healthy to start the year, that he was pretty much destined to start the season in the AHL as more of a rehab assignment. Absolutely. Um, but because of the injuries and the opportunity arose to steal a 2C spot and make your career, and he did not take it, like, that's what it means more. Um, I, you know, <laughs> I just don't know what to make of, of Morgan Frost at this point. And, you know, like I said, this weekend I'll get a better, you know, eye view of him and, and see what it is about his game, and I, I hope to see better. Quite frankly, I didn't have many qualms with Morgan Frost during the preseason, but I think he was trying way too hard to be responsible defensively, you know, kind of focus more on his two-way play, and thus wasn't creating offense. And it was kind of clear that he was treading water to, to stay afloat there. And that's just not what you want. You don't want to see a guy working so hard to not screw anything up that you're taking away the best part of his game, which is the offense. You know, and you go down to the AHL, you let him focus on the two-way play, you let him get more comfortable. Theoretically, you know, in a few months, now that he'll have some some time back under his belt, everything will start to click, he'll come back up and take a spot. But uh, again, we'll have to wait and see on that one. I don't necessarily believe it much anymore, but... uh, you know, just, uh, I don't know. I don't know what else we could possibly say on Morgan Frost. I feel like we've been having the same conversation for like five yeah. years now. Yeah, I know. And and you know what? At the end of the day, man, it really doesn't even come down to the player. It comes down more with people who kind of just refuse to just take it for what it is. Yep. And I think you've said it numerous times. If he wasn't so overhyped and, you know, misinterpreted i guess for lack of better terms by so many quote-unquote prospect people for the last five years we wouldn't be having this conversation like if i hadn't been having had morgan frost shoved down my throat repeatedly since 2018 let's say i probably would just be like hey he's had a rough road first round late first round pick in a kind of poor draft year Five years out, he's, he's taken a little more time, especially because of injuries and COVID. Whatever. If he shows up, great. If he doesn't, you know, try again at next year's draft. Yeah. But I think it's more because people just refuse to just accept that he isn't, like you've said so many times, Claude Giroux Jr. And I think a lot of unfair expectations has, have been placed on his shoulders. Yeah, I would agree. You know, he had a two-point-per-game pace in juniors and... For some reason, people think that your work in juniors is going to replicate itself in the NHL, and that's not always the case. And when you get to the NHL, a lot of people need to figure out a different style. And Scott Lawton is a perfect example of that. 
You know, he was yep. an offensive guy in juniors, and he took years in the AHL in figuring his shit out in the NHL before he realized that he needs to be a two-way player. He needs to focus on his stuff defensively. And he came back up, I don't even know what year that would have been off the top of my head, but came back up and has been in the league ever since because he figured out how to play defense and not necessarily try and score goals when he couldn't. And I don't know if Morgan Frost possesses that same power to become a defensively responsible guy and and be a third liner for his you know his career his playing style just does not live up to that style of play on the ice so I don't know I like I said I, he just needs a team like the Red Wings where he can just go and screw everything up and learn and take his bumps and bruises and figure it out and become something but if he does not have that which is not going to be a thing in Philadelphia this season <laughs> with any luck um you know I, I just don't know where he ultimately fits in here and you know a lot of these prospects that are coming up now I mean somebody like Tyson Forrester I am not one to hype up prospects but I love me some Tyson Forrester and it's because he plays a game that's NHL ready you know this is a big fucking kid and he plays hard, he plays well, he's got a hell of a shot, and he seems to be able to at least hold his own two-way ability. You know, his preseason wasn't overly great once the game started to to take place, but I think that's just because he's 19 years old. You know, another season in the AHL this year could do him some wonders, and I think this guy is going to probably compete for a roster spot next year. And, you know, Wade Allison's around, and he'll probably be an NHL regular uh, next season, uh, maybe towards the end of this year, if and when he comes back. So... You know, Frost is just going to get overpassed, and like I said, I would assume any trade that happens, you know, if they're eyeballing somebody worthwhile at center, whether it's uh, Tomas Hurdle or somebody else, um, you know, nearing the trade deadline, I would assume Frost is probably going to be packaged in there if he is not in the NHL by that point. And at this point, you know, I, that's another thing with these prospects is not every one of them makes the NHL. Some of them are used in trade bait, you know, they're, 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 they're valuable somewhere else in the organization. And that is via trade. So we shall see what becomes a frost, but, uh, my expectation level is <laughs> even lower than it was going into the year. Yeah. And I mean, what's interesting is tomorrow there's, we're going to have like the first true test against like a top level team. So I'm really looking forward to that Wednesday night game tomorrow night. Got, uh, Boston tomorrow. Florida on Saturday, they get a couple days off, and they have a back-to-back. They go to their Western Canada trip. Edmonton, Vancouver, and then Calgary on Saturday. So not a lot of games over the next uh, little while here. They start their season pretty slowly. But uh, these next three games, Boston, Florida, and Edmonton, are going to be some big testers there for them uh, for different reasons as well. You know, Boston, you know, they've always always will be a competitive team in Boston, Florida. My pick to win the Cup, by the way. Oh, gonna... really? Didn't you predict them to win the Cup? Like, this is the third straight year, year. yeah. <laughs> if i keep doing it they'll have to win sooner or later right but uh <laughs> and then then edmonton obviously can they stop uh old Connor mcdavid up there so i'm gonna be a big test over the next uh eight days here so we shall see but uh as for us we're not slowing down anytime soon everybody this shit just keeps coming i'm back with shane tonight that episode will be up probably tomorrow uh i believe we're doing something on thursday uh yeah as well we're Thursday, we're going to have Lou Korak, who covers the Blues for NHL.com. And returning guest, Lou Korak. And uh, Friday will be Freakin' Flyer. And then I assume No Willie Pot on Sunday again. So, lots of shows, everyone. We are in uh, regular season form now. So, at Dan the Flyer Fan, at Brotherly Puck, at Brotherly underscore Pot, at Heart Countdown underscore. If you want to count down Carter Hart's wins with me now that he's actually getting some. And, um... <laughs> 
Anthony, where can people find you on Twitter? Uh, you can find me at Mark 25 All right, everybody. Until next time, goodbye and good night.